to Interviews. Hi, I'm your host, Sophia Negron, a former professional dancer turned professional photographer. Here's where I interview former professional artists that have moved on to a new career and learn about their stories of discovery, transition, passion, and resilience. My hope is that you will feel inspired to embrace your creativity, see the value in it, and let it color the rest of your endeavors. So, what will be your act two? I am Sophia Negron from Act Two Interviews, and today I am here with Casey Fatchett, who I have known Hello. for a long time. And Casey is a former professional actor and fight choreographer turned photographer and podcaster. Welcome, Casey. Thank you for having me on, Sophia. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, we have been friends, gosh, I don't know, because we were both shooting weddings. At least a decade, uh, I think. Has it been that long? It has been. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, even inter- I yeah. even interviewed you for The Healthy Photographer, so that yeah. was at least six years ago. Sheesh. Yep. Yeah. When I lost a bunch of weight. <laughs> yeah. Now we all... I found it again. I found it again over COVID. I did too. It's okay. (laughs) We did it once. We can do it again. I'm I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Yeah. Fighting back. (laughs) So tell me, how did you even start becoming an actor and a fight choreographer? When did you start doing that? I started acting in high school. I got really. I had always enjoyed performing. When I was a young child, I wanted to be a comedian. I wanted to be a stand-up comic. I would memorize Steve Martin and George Carlin routines. And my sister would come home. She's older, and she'd come home with her friends in high school. And I was, you know, seven or eight years old, and wake me up, and I'd come down and perform on the. There was my parents had these two lights that focused on the fireplace and they put me on the they put me up on the hearth and i'd do my five i do my five minutes which was totally mostly stolen from other professional comedians but i would also intersperse my own stuff in there then i went to college i studied theater and speech and journalism were my two majors and then after college i went and did regional theater immediately the summer afterwards and then i moved to new york city which is you know where I got into both. That's where I started my fight choreography career and my professional acting career then went from there. I started training in fight choreography and then kept that up and was teaching and doing fight choreography for a little over 13 years, which was a little long, longer than my acting career, which I would say was probably around 10 years. And so, yeah, that's, that's how I got into that whole world. I'd always, and also, you know, I was a kid and I just really, always loved like, the swashbuckling, like pirate movies. It's a sword fighting aspect of fight choreography had, you know, was yeah. attracted me from there. It was just the nerd within me. It's <laughs> like, oh, this will be fun. I had been into journalism when I was, uh, uh, you know, in high school, like doing like, the student newspaper and things like that. So I wanted mm-hmm. to, I enjoyed write, always enjoyed writing. So I'm going to do something that's kind of writing related and then, you know, theater in speech were, you know, the performance aspect of things. My mother was very upset because <clears throat> it was a very prestigious business school and I didn't take any business classes. 
<laughs> and she would say, why don't you take some business classes? And I was like, when am I ever going to need business classes for? I'm not going to be in, I'm not going to be a business person. I'm going to be a performer. And, and uh, yeah, I wish I had taken some business classes. That was, but <laughs> <laughs> oh. it was the whole, whole thing of like having to take like, micro and macro economics before you got to any of like, the marketing stuff that probably would have actually been helpful to me later on. I even started out as a physics major when I first oh. went to college. Oh. I got a minor in it, but I was a physics major because I wanted to either work at a super collider or I can't remember what the other one was, develop lasers. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was just like, I got to a point where I was like, I don't want to do math every day. That was, that was the, the, you know, rush out of there. And I was like, I started doing, taking those economics classes and I was like, yeah, I'm not, not a fan. Yeah. Not a fan. Yeah. Well, now, see, then you did the theater, so you could pretend to be making lasers. Yes. And then you can, yeah. you know, shoot laser guns and, yeah. you know, I mean, be on totally colliders. Become, it's become, it's like, all of that, all that stuff, now I can pretend, I could pretend to do those things, which was much better than having to learn how to do it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, you said that your, your mom kept saying, take business classes. How, how were they when you said, I'm going to study theater? They were very supportive. My okay. my parents were were extremely supportive always of my artistic endeavors, and th my mother always said, "Just be sure you have a backup plan. Mm -hmm. Always be sure you've got a backup plan or two backup plans. Yeah. Always be prepared." And I did. You know, when I moved to New York, I had a lot of computer skills okay. that I had learned. You know, administrative stuff. I you know was getting temp jobs as an admin assistant, and then I started doing graphic design work and I was doing publishing, you know, my, my day jobs, my numerous day jobs as an actor between gigs, working and creating presentations for banks. It was good money, uh, a little soul sucking, but you know, like, yeah. create, like watching the, these people are making, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars and I'm putting together the, I'm, I'm getting paid, you know, 20 bucks an hour to put together their presentation to pitch this to the other bank. Yes. So great. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Awesome. But it was good money back then, especially. So, yeah, my parents were extremely supportive. I was very lucky in that sense that they were always 100% behind you, but also just the caveat of saying, like, you need to be prepared in case this doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And when you were acting, how, how was that? trying to balance, you know, day jobs with trying to do theater work? It was culture shock, first of all. I grew up in a small Midwestern town, and it was, you know, five-hole in the big city. I rolled into New York, and I was just like, what? I had never been here before. I had never, oh, never wow. been to New York City before. Never visited, nothing. <laughs> moved, it moved to New York City. It was something out of central casting. You know, moves to the big town, had never been here. It was like, oh. You know, shocked by the number of people and just just how alive the city was. And then mm -hmm. it was immediately, I had already reached out to several temp agencies. I, you know, it took me a couple weeks to get a job, but I got a job pretty quickly. And I will say the one thing, I am a terrible, I would be a terrible waiter. I'm glad I've never actually worked as a waiter or a server in a restaurant or a bar and my hats are off to those people, and I always tip really well because I wouldn't be terrible at it. But I was lucky that for me because I would be have been bad that I never worked in that in that particular service industry. 
but I was always doing, you know, I, I went from being a, you know, I was doing admin stuff, graphic design stuff. I also picked up my camera because I'd been a, you know, taking the photography class in, in college as part of my journalism major. And I was doing headshots for other actors because like, you, know, you meet other actors and oh, I need headshots. I'm like, I've got a camera. I will take your headshots. Hand me money. Pay me. Give me that money. I looked yeah. at those ads backstage and I was like, how much for headshots? I'll do it for a third of that. You know, right. and, just like, and, you know, sort of grew from there. And then people started recommending me to friends who were in bands and musicians. And I started doing live band photos all while you know, managing. I was working. But you might wonder. How do you manage to go to auditions, do headshots and photograph bands, and have a temp job doing desktop design and digital you know, publishing and stuff like that? It's because I worked the graveyard shift, and oh, I managed okay. to give myself narcolepsy because I was barely sleeping. I was sleeping a few hours a day, gave myself narcolepsy. I would, I one time fell asleep at a party standing up. <laughs> And they just like leaned me up against the wall. <laughs> they didn't even sit you down on the couch, huh? No, because they're afraid of moving me too much. Oh, okay. They're they're afraid like what would happen to my body if I was shocked awake. <laughs> and but I was talking to someone, had a drink in my hand, and just like went out. My eyes closed, and I was just standing there. And like, Did he just fall asleep? And it was actually a joke amongst people at the the desktop publishing place where I worked because we'd go in and like at that point it was so bad like I would had, had fallen asleep a couple of times at my desk. I was a supervisor at that point. I was really good <laughs> at my job. Like there was one time I fell asleep. We literally it was like something out of a cartoon. I fell asleep with my finger on the Z button. It was just like you couldn't write it better. Like people wouldn't believe you if you wrote this in a in a movie or a TV show. It'd be like like no, oh, that's a little too far. It's just like five pages of Z's. <laughs> My finger was just like lightly on the Z button. I'm like, huh? That, oh, oh, man. And another time fell asleep and so, someone was mad about something else. One of the operators there was upset about something a banker had said. And I actually sat up at my desk and I said, excuse me, some of us are trying to sleep here. And went, went right back to sleep at my desk. Um, <laughs> Wow. Yeah, so that's how I managed to work all of that into acting and uh, having enough time to go to auditions. And then when you got something to do rehearsals and performances, it's because most of my other jobs were really flexible as yeah. far as timing or, or, you know, we're just not during normal hours of operation. So mm -hmm. I could had the time to do the, the acting stuff and go on auditions and go to classes and, you know, spend the time, you know, honing my craft right. um, and, you know, learning the fight choreography stuff and, you know, teaching classes in fight choreography, all that stuff. Like, because I just basically spent the hours that I should have been sleeping working on the wow. paying jobs, on the other paying jobs. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's funny because when I, I went to college, my roommates would have parties in our room. And if I was tired, I was like, I'm going to bed. Don't mind me. I'm just going to go to bed. I mean, I'm lucky that nobody ever did anything to me while I'm sleeping yeah. and there's 10 people in our room listening to music and hanging out. But yeah, I'm that way too. I can fall asleep anywhere. And, you know, friends of mine are like, Sophia, hello. We're <laughs> <laughs> like, sit down to watch a movie. You're lucky if I, if I make it through make the whole it through. movie. 
Yeah, I feel, I have all those memes my, my wife will send me. It shows a person like eyes closing, or it's usually a dog. I mean, you know, eyes are uh-huh. closing, me trying to watch a movie. So, so you were doing your acting and doing the fight choreography. Now, was the fight choreography just for theater, or did you also do it for film and TV stuff? Yeah, film and TV stuff. We do that tended to be. I pretty much my focus was swords and knives. So I didn't do a lot of film stuff. Like that was mostly what was going on in film would be, you know, hand-to-hand fighting. Right. And they usually wanted somebody with a martial arts experience, okay. uh, which I don't have. But I could do some things here and there. But mm-hmm. knife fighting was a, something that they would they occasionally got into a film. And did a lot of student films where they needed a knife fight for some reason. There was a whole, you know, stretch there where SVA and NYU film students had somebody with a knife you know, in their in their student films, and they did a lot of that stuff. Though right? that was a lot of, those are certainly a, a trope for a period of time. Yeah. So you so you're doing your acting and working and all the crazy things that we have to do as artists. How did you segue into doing wedding photography? Well, I started. Some of my friends from college started getting married. Mm-hmm. And I would go, because I'm a dinosaur, I would take my film camera, which is what I was shooting with at that point, and I would take a couple rolls of film, and I would shoot those just at, while I was at the wedding. Not like I'm trying to be the photographer at the wedding, but like just getting some snapshots here and there, because that was kind of my thing, how I, you know, what I liked about photography was just capturing those little moments between people and I would blow up two of them that I thought were really nice and I would send them along as an extra gift to the mm-hmm. couple and like the third time someone got back to me and said these are better than the guy we hired photos I was like huh light bulb Bing. You, you make pretty good money as a wedding photographer I could do this and I could stop doing you know the you know the desktop publishing and graphic design stuff you know I could stop doing that and just do weddings because I'm only gonna be working on the weekend because I right. was young, young and naive and so foolish, thinking that that's all I would be doing. I'm just going to work on the weekends. And things were scheduled months in advance, so I would know if I had a show and I could do it or not. So you know, right. that's that was, you know, another thing. or if I'd be available to do the show based on if I had booked the weddings and whatever. Yeah, I was, so I was stupid and thought that this was going to be whatever. Yeah, I, would, I had my sort of, I don't know, I, I already had, had my circle of referrals that I was getting from bands and actors and models to do those photos. And I had no idea how to really run a photography business, the right. business side of it. Again, yeah. back to the business classes. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. I learned, I made a lot of mistakes and I learned from those mistakes really quickly. But I really found, I did my first wedding and I really loved it. I really loved the emotional aspects of it mm-hmm. were very fulfilling and the performance aspect of it. Like it's like the day, like as an actor, it was like doing a live show. It's like doing theater. You don't get to go back and do anything. This is that performance aspect. Right. This is, there are no redos. We don't get yeah. to like, this is just like something goes wrong. You got to improvise and you got to just like, it's, yeah, like that, that was it, to me that not performative in like being fake, but like performative in like this is the performance pressure of it and yeah. the aspect of it that there's no you have to get it right or you have to adjust to the circumstances. Right. So that that, that was very much like performing as an actor to me. OK. All right. Yeah. that I like that 
analogy to it. I mean, and you also do kind of have to, I wouldn't say perform, but you do have to be on and be able to talk yes. to people and make them feel at ease and, you know. You're playing a lot of characters as a wedding photographer. It's yeah, not just the technical aspect of the photography part of it, but being a therapist mm -hmm. and a comedian and all these other things that you have to sort of do that. Yeah. They're like the many hats that you wear mm -hmm. as a wedding photographer appealed to me because it was just, you know, it felt very much like being an actor in this, yeah. in a similar sense in, in a way outside of the creative aspect of taking pictures. Right. Uh, right. And I mean, I would think with being able to do fight choreography, so you're 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 studying movement, you're creating different things. So did you find that that helped with posing your couples? No, I mean, interesting that you bring that up, but I actually leaned very far away from posing people. Okay. Uh, because for me, posing felt unnatural. Mm -hmm. I wanted to get natural reactions out of people. So I was using, you know, again, both my sort of acting skills and comedian hat to get reactions from people and or put them in situations, which was very much, I used the improv games. Okay. I learned to get people to do things and like be engaged with one another, mm -hmm. as opposed to saying, like, you're going to stand here and you're going to do this because I always felt that that sort of took the life out of them a little bit. Yeah. But I did know it made a pretty picture on stage. Okay. Like like body-wise, like the angles mm -hmm. of people's bodies and like what made this look good, what made a good tableau on stage. So even though I didn't really have a lot of formal training in photography as far as like posing people, I knew how to just like tell people to adjust a little bit. Like, hey, lift your arm just a little bit. Like that's going to make a better picture as opposed yeah. to saying, stand here and do this. I would give them something to do, and then I'd say, oh, just move your arm a little bit to the right, just a little bit. Oh, that's perfect. Great. Like that sort of thing. Yeah. Like guiding a little bit. Directing, honestly, is what I like in, in a lot of ways as opposed to posing. Yeah. I like that. I like that analogy better. And, I mean, it's very clear in your photos that the people are very engaged and having a great time and, you know, laughing. And, and I know that clients are, you know, always, like, yeah, he's fun, he's funny, you know. I mean, even when, when we see you at events, you know, when we used to go to events, you know, industry stuff, it was, you know, go to Casey if you want to laugh. You know, we, we had yeah. the photographer shuffle and all those things. Photographer shuffle, things. click, click, shuffle. You know? <laughs> you know, put a dancer and a fight choreographer together. Yeah, <laughs> things will happen. So, well, strangely, fight choreography is a lot like dance. Mm -hmm. the, the, even down to the, the point of like foot positions, oh. fencing has a lot of similar foot positions in it. Then we start in first position and going out, there's a lot of playing in fencing. Oh, so there's, right. you know, And back in the day, as my fencing master used to tell me, the master of the fence, the person who taught sword fighting to young nobles was usually also the dance master. Oh, okay. How did you decide? I'm going to do photography and less acting. Well, 
there were a few reasons. One was I was really getting a lot more enjoyment out of the photography than I was mm-hmm. out of the acting at that okay. point. There was a lot of frustration for me with the, in the acting because I kept getting very close on very yeah. big jobs. And the reasons why I wasn't getting cast were so subjective that it was driving me insane. It was like yeah. there was a bit of the re- rejection was one thing and you, know, you got to get used to it if you're going to be a performer, but it was sort of like there were a few jobs. There was one where I was up for the, for a role across. I don't know if anybody's going to even remember who this person is. Nikki Cox. She was a sort of a minor character on this WB show. And then she was like, ended up getting her own show on the WB and they wanted someone to play her husband. The first time I went in for an audition, everybody were all kind of a similar type. Mm-hmm. Right, I go in. He's supposed to be a former boxer. I used to box in college, so I know. Yeah, you know, I was like, I can box. Whatever we need, somebody you need somebody who has experience. That was like a plus for me. Great, get the call back. I come in, and suddenly everybody is five inches taller than me, and about a hundred and fifty pounds heavier. Oh, and I okay. was like, and I'm seriously the only person my size. I'm not a small person. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, the people who were there are like giants. And I was just like, what's going on? And (laughs) they're like, oh, yeah, we rewrote it. He's now, instead of being a former boxer, he's a former professional wrestler. Oh. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And you guys called me back because why? And they're like, well, because we really loved your read. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not physically the type of person you're looking for anymore right and they're like yeah but we'd still love to have you read and send it to the network and i'm like okay you know but part of me is sort of thinking like, well if i you know they like me for this if they like how i read maybe in the future something else will come up right, right. that you know <laughs> that goes well that did not happen so i did not get cast in that role and then there was a voiceover gig for amc that i recorded a ton of stuff for, and I got paid, you know, my initial rate. I was supposed to get paid residuals for when they started using it. It was all these voiceovers for commercials. This is back when AMC was American Movie Classics, and they just showed a lot of classic films. Okay. And I did all these things, introducing different films or talking about films, and I was like, they're going to be the voice of AMC. And then they decided to have Tom Hanks do it. <laughs> and, and they just trashed everything that I had recorded, like two weeks of recording, which they had paid me for. Yeah. And then they well, were that's like, good. Yeah, you know what? You got we paid. Yeah, I got paid, but I was supposed to be like making like residuals for a long time. Right. <laughs> I was going to be making a lot of residuals. And then they apparently just said, we want a recognizable voice. And Tom Hanks is that voice. And how are you going to compete with Tom Hanks? Right. And then it was the movie Vanilla Sky with okay. Tom Cruise. Uh-huh. I don't know how much you remember of that. There's a guy. I don't remember anything of it. I just remember there was a movie. <laughs> well, there's a character who shows up frequently throughout the film. Okay. He's very distinct. He wears a blue suit. And he shows up throughout the movie. And then at the end, he gives a great deal of exposition, which explains everything that weird that's happened throughout the entire movie. Okay. That was the part that I was up for. It is not a, you know, 
leading role. Right. But it is very distinct, and it is a Tom Cruise, Cameron Crowe production. So it's like, hey, this is a good, you know, this is, it's meaty in what it has. You know, yeah. they brought me in seven times. Oh. And at that point, I'm like, am I going to see Cameron Crowe at any point here? Like, you know, like, <laughs> Am I going to meet Tom? <laughs> Am I going to meet Tom? Like, what's going on? Like, it, it, and then they finally, like that that last meeting, they said, "Yeah, we would love to cast you in this role, but you're too tall." <laughs> because every scene was with Tom Cruise. Yeah, and he's like what five four or something five five he, five five maybe I've met him in, in a totally different arena of things but yeah he's very short and his writer says that he has to appear as tall as anyone in a the frame with him wow he can't appear shorter than right. anybody else and i was and i was like huh and then i just like kind of went i haven't gotten any shorter since the first time i came in right right it says on my resume how tall I am. You guys <laughs> knew this going in. And they're like, yeah, but we just really love your read for the film. But you knew you weren't going to cast me. <laughs> like seven times? Like now it's just getting cruel. Like, yeah. They're like, no, we yeah. were just really trying to sell them on you. And I'm like, but I'm, I wasn't an established quantity at that point. Like I wasn't right. like, that could work if somebody was, you know, if you know, I had an established like, career or Mm-hmm. that's how I felt I was like you know I just don't think that's gonna work and then they were like and you know honestly if we were to go that far you needed to be much weirder looking and I was like okay now I'm you've lost me completely so yeah <laughs> those sorts of things are getting very close and there were other very similar stories to that but like yeah. it it was just a lot of those things and I was like, getting so close and I was like there's gonna be a there's gonna be a moment here there's always mm-hmm. like, yeah, gotta keep working and it went on for about a year like that and then I was just like yeah, I've got my agent. They can call me. I'm not putting the effort into this that, you know, of just running to stuff. And I, I continue to do a lot of voiceover work for a while mm-hmm. after that because people always wanted me for voiceovers. But then I was just like transitioning more and more into the wedding world and learning more about running my photography business. And I just was getting more fulfillment out of that yeah. than I was from the performative aspect of acting. I think a lot of the people that I've talked to, it's been a similar thing where they kind of had something else that they were doing and the acting or the dancing or whatever was no longer fulfilling that that need. As you were stepping away, were there other people that knew you as an actor and you know, now they see you as a photographer and was there, oh, why are you doing that? Or, you know, was... I mean, it's interesting. I have, I still have a lot of friends from my acting days, you know, people who, you know, I met some friends who were the first people I met when I moved to New York, like the Mm -hmm. auditions that are... And it's interesting, our relationships like those sort of lasting relationships are only there because of how we connected on a different level. I think not just mm-hmm. as you're an actor or you're a photographer and they knew me like they, you know, I had been, I probably took their headshots. So they, they understood that photography was something that I, you know, was interested in and passionate about. So that transition wasn't so much of a gear shift for them. Okay. 
and it was also very like I said it was very at least at the beginning there it was fairly slow shifting of gears because okay. I was still doing voiceovers and I was still doing the fight choreography stuff because the fight choreography stuff was the most stable of everything. If somebody wanted you to be a fight choreographer or to have you come in and do a fight scene, that was rigidly scheduled stuff. And I could right. do that during the week, mm-hmm. you know, when I wasn't working on weddings. I could do my business running of my, you know, wedding photography business around that pretty easily. Right. You had touched upon, you know, oh, I'll just work on the weekends and, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll be able to have all this other stuff. When did you kind of realize that that was not the case. <laughs> Pretty quickly. I mean, I had done probably two or three weddings when I was just like, oh yeah, there's a lot more that goes into this. I got to edit this stuff. And I was shooting kind of a hybrid. I, was, I had a digital camera and yep. a film camera. <laughs> At that point, I would shoot like eight rolls of film. But then I would shoot digital and then I got to edit the digital stuff and I got to send the film stuff off to get developed. There's so many moving pieces here. Of, yeah. And I'm not even thinking, and I was, you know, marketing i didn't know anything about marketing like i was just getting jobs off of like craigslist and like by referral yeah then realizing i've got to branch out from this i've got to find some other way for people to find me yeah i mean i do find i kind of when i started doing weddings i shot film and then i did the film hybrid you know digital thing and then total digital and i did find the first couple of years were actually easier because it was pretty much, I shot the film, I dropped it off the lab, <laughs> I picked up the prints, and there you go. You yep. know, and I didn't have to worry about all the editing. And, you know, now not only was I the photographer, but I'm the lab, along yep. with, you know, the marketing people and all the other things that you have to do in your business. So, I mean, yeah. there is a lot more aspect to it, but at least I didn't have to deal with all of the editing, which I think I'll shoot for other people. So I don't have to that edit. way I can do the fun part, which is shooting, and not have to do all the editing. Yeah, I mean, like when I started, I, I the first year I was shooting all film, and I, I didn't do many weddings. I did a few, and then yeah. like the second year, I, I don't know, like used the money invested in a digital camera, and I was like, oh, now there's a lot more work. <laughs> <laughs> and. You said, I mean, you said, oh gosh, marketing, I had no clue, but I would think as an actor, you, you had to kind of understand some aspects of marketing because, you know, you, you had to understand what your type was and what, you know, what roles you should go out for and what your voice was good for. And, you know, you had to pound the pavement and send out postcards and do all of that marketing stuff <laughs> wow i never really I... <laughs> <laughs> no you didn't do that <laughs> I didn't, no i did all that stuff but i didn't think of it as in the terms of like marketing myself like that's really yeah i just thought of it as that this is just what you do and i you know i did have that and it's probably how i you know when i started out as a photographer like, you know i did those similar things it was like that you know pounding the pavement going places putting up flyers which now flyers <laughs> like an idiot the flyers. I'm again showing my age by saying I would go around and put up flyers for headshots and whatever and go to acting schools. Yeah. You know, and put up a you know, flyers for stuff, you know. The same as I would go up and I would literally put my headshot up at at 
you know, acting schools and be like, need somebody for your film? And I would just like, have a little thing of cards. Like, call me. And, you know, <laughs> this is how I, I'm there. I'm where you're going to, like, where they're seeing stuff. You got to get in front yeah. of people's faces. So, yeah, yeah. Like, it, you know, I never really made that connection, but, you know, I guess I wasn't thinking about it in those terms. But, yeah, it was very similar. And you do learn to market yourself as a performer. Mm-hmm. You learn to, you know, what, how to, how to sell yourself to people as a, you know, as a commodity, because that's kind of how you're looked at, you know, you're filling a role, whatever, as a, especially as a performative artist, yeah. whatever the role is, you know, you've got to fill that, whether it's by, you know, yes, let's play into my type, or am I trying to go specifically against type? And if I'm going to do that, how am I going to do it? Because I've got to do it the right way. Like right. People won't expect me to be playing this role um, because of whatever. And I always got cast as the funny friend or the villain. So I knew yeah. what my type was. But yeah, you definitely get into marketing yourself. And I and I think maybe naturally, because of that experience as a performer, there were some things I knew how to do. Mm-hmm. But getting into more of the business aspect of things of like, how do I make this sustainable as a business? Right. How do I market myself in a way that reaches... The audience that I'm trying to get, audience, hey, another performance, you know, mm-hmm. aspect to the, even just the, the terminology, I'm trying to reach an audience that, and how yeah. do I do that in a way that gets the reaction that I want? And mm-hmm. I didn't really think about that at the beginning. I was just like, I'm going to get every job I can get. I right. wasn't really thinking about the, because that was just sort of the, how I did for acting. I was just like, yeah, I'm going to try to get whatever role I can. If it pays, I want to do that role. You know, whatever I can do, keep working. And that's just sort of the the mindset that I had at the beginning of my photography career as well, was to try to get whatever job I could get. Like, that's, that's all. And if I went back and did it again, I'd be much more picky uh-huh. and, like, market myself much differently. Because I was just like, hey, I'm I'm a guy you hired to do your wedding, not for any specific reason. I didn't. It took me a while to figure out what my sort of niche in even the wedding market was, right? Yeah, which was very authentic, candid, emotional photos. Whatever those emotions are, whether it's people who are laughing or you know, just like, or if it's you know crying with joy or whatever it is, like those emotional moments are very much my jam. But I didn't really realize that at the beginning. If I mm-hmm. went back to do it again, I would, like, state that from the beginning. Right. I think things I mean, I think would we have been easier of, at the outset. Yeah, <laughs> but I think we start to kind of learn that the more we shoot, too. Yeah. Like, what, what things do we connect with and why are we doing what we're doing and... Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a connection, and but then you know, that came out of that the whole making people feel really comfortable in front of the camera, mm-hmm. it, my directing skills, just making them feel at ease and relaxed was a very big part of became a big part of my how I was interacting with people. But I didn't realize that it was a selling point. Yeah. Okay. That I should be using that as a you know as part of my marketing mm-hmm. to be like, hey, you know. I'm going to make you feel comfortable because that's a big thing for a lot of people. And right. I should have been, you know, that if, if I, I'm just saying, if, if I were to go back, I understand most of the time we make mistakes and we just do things. We try to, we throw things at the wall and see what sticks. Right. You know, it's just to see what's going to work. What's, what's going yeah. to happen here. And yeah. we don't always know why something works. 
Um, and sometimes it works for reasons that we're not aware of at the time. Right. Yeah. I had a lot of word of mouth. Yeah, I was getting a great word of mouth. I was doing a lot of jobs. That was the same thing. I was, I was doing, you know, even the first few years of doing weddings, I was still doing whatever else. I was still doing a lot of music photography. I was still doing a lot of headshots. Mm-hmm. I hadn't really gone into the niche of, you know, I'm just going to be a wedding photographer. And I was doing a ton of weddings just because the same thing. I was taking whatever I could get. and But I was burning myself out. And I sort of realized that I'm doing too much. The other mistake that I made was to not raise my rates regularly. Mm-hmm. And I sort of got to a point where I'm, I'm not charging enough. But now if I start, if, if I try to raise it to where I think it should be, I had to incrementally raise from there. And I was mad at myself for not raising it sooner. I should right. have raised it sooner. You know, eh, we all, happens. I think we all, live you know, life. learn. And I mean, when I started doing wedding photography, I mean, I started shooting in 2001. So I feel like I was building my business at the same time as I was learning photography. And I got very lucky with, you know, I shot the marketing director of a magazine and that kind of, I feel like that was kind of the impetus where everything kind of took off from there because doing her wedding, she started hiring me for all the magazine events. And then all their sponsors started hiring me for their events. And then I started getting to work in higher end, you know, sponsor corporate events. And so, you know, the the high-end florist or the high-end planner was like, oh, I really like, you know, your work. your work. So then they started referring me for the higher-end weddings. And, you know, I had my daughter in 2005. So in 2004, I was like, you know, I'm going to have a kid. I can't do 50 weddings. Right. So I'm going to charge enough that I can do 20 weddings a year. But I still make I the same amount of money. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and it was... It was at a good time in wedding photography, I think, because I felt like there were several years where people were like, how much? Great. Here. Right. You know, they were like just throwing the money at oh, you. Oh, yeah. It's the, <laughs> leading, leading up to 2008, like everything was, there was, there was, it was the wild west of wedding photography. How much? Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I did find that because I didn't shoot as many weddings, I didn't have as much client word of mouth brides were a little bit older maybe they were mid to end of their bridesmaids you know getting married and friends getting married so there weren't you know most of my referrals came from vendors which you know is good too because they're always in the business yeah it's it's one of those things i always talk about the sort of levels of credibility yes to like a an in-person referral from a friend or family member is sort of like top tier. Yes. Then it sort of drops to a vendor mm-hmm. and then it's a review on a website. Like there's right. like you, you, you want that. Oh, my friend or my family member said this person's great. Yeah. And then next you want, you know, another vendor says like they're a professional, they work in this industry. They're saying you're great. So that's good. And then the next one is like, you know, Oh, I read it on a website. Like, can I trust it? Like, there's right. still a little of like, mm, but really, it's like good to see like other people are saying good things, and it's like you know it's the same sort of again. Wow, man, I think about it, like these things are things that you know having not thought about my performance career in a while, 
it goes back to the same sort of thing in you know the acting world, mm-hmm. you know, with casting directors and agents and other actors referring you for a job and just like all of those sorts of things. There's sort of like different levels depending on. I would get gigs because actors knew that I could memorize very quickly. Okay. I could memorize a script super fast, and if somebody dropped out of a production and I was remotely close to the type of the character, they would be like, hey, do you want to do this? And I was like, great. I don't have to do months of rehearsals. I can go in and do like, two weeks, and I'm good. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I, like, send me the script, and I'd like learn it in a weekend, and just like, go in and be off book, and, you know, bam, let's do the performances, and then I'd be done. I'm like, oh, on the resume. But see, I mean, and those are those are the kinds of things that, as a wedding photographer, help you be successful, too. Because, you know, I mean, I don't I'm sure that you have heard from, you know, a couple comes in and either they just met with a photographer that was a jerk or their friend used a photographer that was a jerk. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's sort of like, like, oh, well, you know, we saw the, 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 my, the one I hear the most often is we were at our friend's wedding and the photographer was such a, we definitely, we know we definitely don't want and we don't want that. And it's just like, well, I'm not that guy. So yeah. you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. it's, and, you know, again, I sort of leaned away from like performing as in like being fake, but it is very much performance and showing what side of you that you mm-hmm. give to people, what they need to get from people. Because I will often ask people what's most important to them. And when I find out from that potential client that there's a specific thing that, you know, I do well, whatever that they're interested in, then I focus my, my efforts in that direction and bring up those things. So in a sense, it's, you know, a performance in a way, but I geared towards whatever they need, what, what their Mm -hmm. needs are Mm -hmm. and being genuine with them, not being fake, but you know, you, we choose what mask we wear and how we put ourselves out there. Yeah. I don't want to get too deep into the metaphysical. (laughs) You don't want to get too nerdy. (laughs) Psychological aspects of it. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And you can get nerdy. So that's a segue to the next thing. You started doing a podcast called The Nerdy Photographer. So, how did you decide to do that, you know, along with all the other? The other things. Stuff you're doing. The yeah. Uh, yeah. I've always been interested in helping people, and I sort of saw a a void in the you know the photography world. There's a lot of gurus and people who want to tell you how to you know run your business and you know five tips that'll you guaranteed to triple your bookings and whatever right. that sort of thing. But I didn't really see a space where there were a lot of people who were like me very much like just sort of camera nerds and there are things that I geek out about like ooh like this is like I could do this like I'm I always refer to it as MacGyvering I like to build stuff like the DIY photography project you know like I could probably buy something but I could build it you know I can build this thing like it's gonna be fun but you know to create something does it work there have been plenty of projects that I've worked on it was yeah. about the journey so yeah I saw this space where there were I was hoping there were people like me out there who, you know, I would use a lot of movie, I speak fluent movie quote, but using movie quotes and 
as ways to, or just movies as an example of, or whatever to sort of communicate mm-hmm. things to people or you know, comic books or because comic books visually are their storytelling. Yeah. Right? The way in which stories are told. I'm telling people, look at this, look at the way the story is told here. This visual, this is visual art. This is not that far removed from how you're setting up your photography. You want to tell the story. Think about yeah. how you're composing things. And this is somebody who's creating this completely on their own, but look at how, this is this visually the story is told and using that as a means to teach people about photography, both business side of things and the technical side of things, but also just to entertain people. Cause I mean, that's, that's bringing back full circle, the comedian <laughs> performer aspect of me, like the, the, the nerdy, nerdy photographer podcast, 25 episodes in, I took a real left turn and said, you know, like, this has got to be nerdier than it was before. Because I didn't feel it was nerdy enough. You know, I felt like I was, you know, kind of half-assing it on the nerd stuff. I was trying to play it, still play it cool. And, yeah. like, and appeal to as many people as possible. And I was like, you know what? I, I, I'm just going to go full on into this. Um, so I created... Uh, a group of characters and had a friend draw up these comic book characters. There was me, the nerdy photographer. Yeah. There was F2.0 who <laughs> communicates. He communicates only in movie quotes or song lyrics. <laughs> so that's very much me. It gave me a chance to do my impressions and things like that. And, and, but like, he's sharp. He's really quick on those things, but shallow because he can only do things in right. movie quotes. <laughs> then there was Golden Hauer, who's a fizz gig from The Dark Crystal, looking a little like fuzzy, warm, uh-huh. fuzzy guy. But he's the one that everybody wants. He's a fierce warrior. Like yeah, so, everybody wants Golden Hour. Like, yes. Wants... <laughs> and then there was a robot lady named uh, Rula Three RDS. So she's rule of thirds. She can never be, you can't break her. You can't break rule of thirds. And the ship's name was Fibonacci, which is the whole Fibonacci sequence composition. And I started creating these sort of science fiction comic book adventures for these people to go on. It leaned very heavily on comics and movies mm-hmm. and TV shows and just things. That, and like, it's now become every five episodes, it was five episodes. I'm making a 10 now because it takes a lot of effort now. Every yeah. few episodes, I would do this complete just adventure episode. It was, had nothing to do with photography. It was just these characters going on a crazy adventure. And I would do an animated version of these episodes. <laughs> so I gave myself a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also fun. It was just fun to do these things. And again, I'm writing it. <laughs> I'm playing three of the characters. I'm playing Fibonacci, who's sort of like the Hal from 2001 character. It's just my voice, but it's just like totally deadpan. Yeah. No emotion. And then F2.0 is all of the, you know, impressions and singing and whatever. And then it's just me just being a total nerd as the nerdy photographer. And then getting other people to do these other voices and things is, you know, it's fun. That part of it, it's very much a... <laughs> Not what I set out to do, 
But then I recently right. started getting these reviews going like, this is like an old radio play. And this is so great. Like, these people who were like, photographers who were coming to this. I came here to like listen to interviews and stuff, but now I'm getting like, these old timey radio dramas that are like, <laughs> a lot of fun. And it's just like, you know, it's just like, I, I don't know what to expect. Am I going to get an interview with a photographer? Am I going to get some technical advice? Or am I going to get this old time radio play? Like, yeah. You know, and yeah, so I dove full on into the nerdery of that, and now every episode has this little frame around it of mm-hmm. what the characters are up to. It's only a minute or so, but it leads into each okay. episode and out of each episode, saying like, you know what adventure they're on, and that sort of leads us down the road to when that whatever the next big adventure that they have is. Okay. Yeah, I so, love that. <laughs> I you know, I didn't. I didn't even realize. I do remember seeing one of them on Instagram and I watched for a little while and I was like, what is going on? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's really, you know, it's really bizarre. And I try to throw as many really, this is a throwback to my theater degree. I took a playwriting class and the instructor would always say, you're too soft on yourself on what you think is funny. Right. Okay. Not everybody's going to get that. And I'm like, yeah. So now I've, I'm trying to toe that line between like, I, I throw in a lot of references to things, but like cutting it down to like where mm-hmm. it's like, there are some real deep cuts. There are some definitely jokes that only photographers are going to get. Yeah. There are jokes that people who only read comic books and or watch the same movies that I do are going to get. But it's, yeah. it, it's weird to see the overlap now, what each one is going to include. So that, you know, it can just, it can keep going for a very long time. Whether I choose to do that or not is, you know, up to me and how things go. But now that that first arc is sort of completed and people kind of like, who've been with me in that journey for the first year, looking and going like, wow, that was really interesting. Like that was not what we were expecting, but Mm -hmm. it's super fun. And it's just like, you don't have to know anything about photography because now I'm finding that there are people who are not photographers we're just listening for that part of the show. Oh, cool. Who just listened to the first little bit and the last end part to get what the story is for the week. Yeah. And then wait for the big episodes every five to ten weeks. Five to ten weeks. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. cool. So, now, do you, in your wildest, craziest thoughts, where would this go? Oh, I don't know. In my wildest, <laughs> craziest thoughts, I'm getting paid to do this podcast and like, write these stories and like have my wildest dreams. Someone else is producing all of them. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all feel that way. <laughs> I can just, I could just write. If I could just write and do the, you know, the voices and that stuff, that would be that would be really great. So yeah, if there's anybody out there who wants to sponsor a weird animated, yeah, well, hey, you know, maybe you should be talking to some of these animation places. Yeah, I don't know. It's just sort of I knew nothing about animation, so when I did the first one, it was so basic, and it still kind of is. But I also started learning a lot. It it was kind of COVID related. I was teaching myself audio production. Mm -hmm. I was teaching myself the animation. I was teaching myself how to do special effects. Just like, how do I do this? Because I had a whole episode with ships, spaceships, and they're firing at each other. I'm like, okay, well, how do I do that kind of like blaster effect? Yeah. And you know, in the video, I'm like, because I don't want it to look too bad. Like, I kind of wanted to like, throw in some things that were going to surprise people. Like, oh, that effect is actually really good. Yeah. 
<laughs> the rest of the animation of the the stuff that takes me a really like the most time, you know, of the characters moving around is not great. Like that's I'm not a professional animator, so right. that stuff is very basic and it's just like a character who's static, just like floating across the screen. Um, <laughs> that's it's real low budget because uh, I you know I'm not getting paid, but I wanted to throw in things like here and there where there would be like really fantastic special effect that people would be like, whoa, where did that come from? And for my next series of adventures, I did it. I taught myself these things knowing that, okay, this is where I want to go with this to have something okay. every episode where people are going to kind of be like, whoa, that was, yeah. that is way be, that is way above the production value of the rest of this. So yeah, it's fun. And I don't know, it gets me, you know, to riff on things that I always enjoyed for my entire life. Like growing up all of these movies and TV shows and comics mm-hmm. and video games and things. It gets yeah. me a, a way to, pay homage to those parts of my life yeah and I love how everything is kind of coming full circle because you <laughs> you know you get to do the comedy you get to do the theater you get to do the writing you know you're fight choreographing your little people and <laughs> literally there's an episode where there's a sword fight and I had to get the my artist who does the character drawings I was like, no, you can't have their arms static. I need an arm that will move up and down because they actually have to. Because me, as the fight choreographer, they can't just move back and forth with their arms not moving. I need them to be actually fighting. (laughs) It was so much work. It was so much work. (laughs) I bet. But, you know, I mean, COVID, that's one nice thing about COVID because none of us can really work if we're all, you know, event photographers of some sort. So, you know, getting to kind of, Play and do some of these other things that we would not have had time to do. It's yeah, it's been weird for me because I sort of dove into this aspect of like going really into it and being a full, went full nerd on, on this stuff for the last year. And recently getting reviews like from these people, like I said, who aren't photographers or people who are photographers and just the reactions that I'm just starting to get from these people, it's really blowing me away and it's making me yeah. a little emotional. Because it's like, yeah, you do spend a lot of time on these things. And there was part of it where I was like completely doing it just for me. Like those adventure yeah. episodes are all for me. They're, those mm-hmm. are not done with the, you know, thought of, like you said, what would happen in my wildest dreams? Yeah, I would like turn this into something and somebody would pay me to do it. That'd be great. Or, some, right. or just having someone else. To be able to afford to pay someone else to do the aspects of it that I don't like so that I can do it more right. often. Right. But then getting that feedback is just sort of, like, you know, kind of stuns me because it's like I didn't expect anybody else to really get it. Yeah. And they yeah. got it. So, so those are your people. <laughs> yeah, right. I found my people. But that's, you know, as we said, as the, a recurring topic here of like your type or whoever your audience is. Part of this is like as an actor or a performer or as a photographer or someone running their own business, finding your audience. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it has to do with not being afraid to be who you are. Yeah. And yeah. being honest with yourself about who you are. And I'm a huge nerd. And like I just said, you know what? That was not, I, I was trying to be Mr. Hip Dude. And mm-hmm. I'm not Mr. Hip Dude. Right. I'm just not. And there's actually a joke about that in the last episode of the. 
do that. I made a joke that there's now there's now a version of me from an alternate dimension called the super cool photographer. <laughs> He's just like ultra hip, and it's just like everybody's like, yeah, this just isn't right. This is yeah. not, <laughs> this is not something good. wrong. Yeah. yeah, but you know what? And that's that's the thing is being able to find find your people and and being able to find yourself and being able to be okay with who you are and not so worried about is anyone going to like it is anyone going to like me is anyone going to book me you know is anyone going to hire me and you know the last thing you want to do is be like everybody else you know and and so many people are like everybody else and yeah you know I mean, even for me as a photographer, when I try to look at other photographers' work, everybody is kind of, is very similar. So it's, you know, it's like, God, how does anyone choose that's not a photographer? Yeah. I mean, you you find yourself, and and I kind of think it brings us back to that, like, auditiony sort of thing. People just go, oh, you know, I just get a feeling from this. Or, you know, there's something people can't, you know, (laughs) I have this conversation with other photographers a lot. What is it that you like, you know, what, what makes a great photo to someone? And the photographers will say a lot of different things, but it's the people who are looking at it mm-hmm. who create the connection that they have with the photo. Right. I can have a photo like that photo can mean something to me as the photographer. It means something entirely different to the people who are my clients. And it can mean something completely different to people who come to my website and look at it. Mm-hmm. you're hoping that we all kind of have the same reaction to it. Yeah. But I have had like, what I felt were like this really emotional moment sort of photo. And it's like, Oh, this is really beautiful or whatever. And like people, like I would ask people like, Oh, well, what'd you think of this photo? And they'd be like, Oh, this is what it means to me. It just makes me laugh. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, because, Oh, I think of this, like having this moment with, you know, my fiance or whatever. And it's like, we're just not like those serious people. And that would, and I would crack up if I had this moment with, you know, my husband or wife or whatever. And I'm just like, oh, so like, you know, getting that sort of feedback from people and understand and trying to understand, like, it's sort of disassociating yourself with, from your work product. And -hmm. it's very much something I had to do as an actor. What the audience sees is completely different from what my experience as a performer is. Like, right. you know, we hope to be on the same in those moments where you're just like completely hitting it in the audience and the performers are like, it's been a live theater. It's, you know, there's a symbiotic relationship that's super fantastic. But yeah, no, in those times when it's just off and it's yeah. not working, because you're going yeah. out there. I tried stand up comedy and despite every, like, people, what you may have said about people going, like, oh, you know, you want to laugh, go see Casey. My style of humor does not translate to stand up comedy. <laughs> It was a lot of crickets, and it was a lot of, yeah. sort of people going like, huh? Well, what? <laughs> you were just too nerdy like, for them. It was too cerebral, or it was just, like, you know, people were not ready for that, especially because I usually ended up having to go first, and people yeah. were still getting there. They hadn't had enough to drink, I don't think, right. to, <laughs> to get in there. But it's sort of, you know, you got to find a way in which, as a performer, as, a, as any sort of artist, there's an audience. Mm-hmm. If you, even if you're a visual artist, 
a musician, whatever it is, there's a relationship that you that your art has to the audience, mm-hmm. consumer, whatever you want to call them. Their relationship to your work is separate from your relationship to your work and the way that you experience it. Because you mm-hmm. experience it by creating it, by right. and especially in a performance thing. We have to find ways to understand our audience better if that makes sense and yeah. you know be honest about ourselves we'll attract more people who are like us who then connect on the same levels and then that's where we get that deep connection that you have with people who are of a like mindset they don't have to be exactly like you but they there's some element there that they pick up on and go right. that's what i like and they'll look at that photo and go that's what i love about this picture because yeah. it's something about you that you've put into it. Mm-hmm. That's what they love about that performance. That's what they love about the podcast or the nerdy reference. Yeah. Because they they connect to it on an emotional level. Right. Yeah. Nice. So what do you say to people that are either transitioning from being an actor into something else? And then what kind of skills have you found... Or do you think that they should really remember they can bring into whatever else they're going to do? I think that as an art, as a, especially as a performing artist, there are so many skills that you learn how to work with people. Mm-hmm. Like that's, and that's one of the most important skills that you can ever learn is mm-hmm. how to work with other people. Whatever yeah. you're doing, you know, if you're going to be working with anyone else, and I, it's you know interesting that so many people from the theater get into events and weddings, in whatever aspect. We know people who are planners, photographers, makeup artists, all of these. I know a florist who was a former actress, yeah. and it's that ability to not just sell yourself, but also, hey, we got to collaborate on this. Mm-hmm. Whatever you're transitioning into, use those skills that you already have learned as, an, as a performer, an artist. Find the things that you loved mm-hmm. about performing or your artistry in whatever you choose to do. I think that that's what made the transition somewhat easy for me in a way. It mm-hmm. was finding the elements of weddings, especially that were very much felt like a live theater performance. There's, yeah. there's sort of the ritual of, you know, we have it kind of blocked out. There's, there's the blocking, there's the, you know, the kind of a script for the day and the timeline. And there's, you know, like we know how things are kind of supposed to go, but there's also this room for improvisation and kind of play mm-hmm. in there. So finding those elements of whatever your new career job whatever is going to be that you loved about what you used to do and finding ways in which they overlap i think can make the transition much easier i think that you know there are times when people go oh do you miss acting and the my honest answer is i miss the people yeah that's why i miss the camaraderie of the the theater and being in a show with people and I don't miss going to auditions. No. (laughs) We don't miss, you know, thanks, but that was no thanks. (laughs) Yeah, and it's 
And that's part of the I mean, honestly, there's just having done all this stuff for the podcast, like I'm wondering about like, maybe doing voiceovers again because I can have a home recording studio now. All the people that I knew who kept going with voiceovers had some sort of like home recording at that point. They would get stuff. Yeah. Like friends who did anime, friends who dubbed like Powerpuff Girls and Dragon Ball Z and Pokemon. And mm-hmm. these were my friends who were like dubbing it, coming over from you know uh, Japan. They would they did the the American English voices for them. They were just recording them at home on their laptop. Wow. They would just send them the script and they would just do the three takes. And that's still a lot of my friends who I know who are still in voiceovers are still yeah. doing stuff at home. They don't, yeah. don't want to pay for a studio. <laughs> yeah. You don't even have to be in New York. You could yeah. be anywhere. And that's yeah. something yeah. where it doesn't matter what you look like. So you don't have to worry about, you know, if Tom Cruise is only 5'5 five five and you're 5'10. <laughs> <five> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it, it still has the performance aspect of finding that thing that you love about it. You know? Yeah. It's easier these days than it used to be, I think. Yeah. And to I think find something, the Right. Something that I'm kind of discovering on this interview is even if you decide to stop acting or stop, maybe it's a little hard for dancers, but you can, you don't have to completely walk away. You know, right. it's, you don't have to say, okay, I'm, I'm, now I'm done acting and I'm never acting again. You know? And yeah. And I think that it's, it brings up a point that I had with actually the interview. It's the complete opposite side that I had with a guy on my podcast. We were talking about like people who like photography. He's like, you don't have to do it as a job. Mm-hmm. He's like, you don't have to feel that you have to do it as a job. If you just enjoy it. You don't. Ha- it doesn't have to be a career. It doesn't have to be a job. It can be something that you do just because you enjoy it. And it's very much the same yeah. with, you know, performance stuff. Like find a way to do dance just in a way that makes you happy. Yeah. Find a way to to perform. You know, if you're a singer, you know, whatever. Find a way to perform that just makes you happy. It doesn't have to be. You don't have to get paid to do it. Yeah, just have yeah. that outlet. And I think that. Social media has certainly made that much easier for people to put yes. it out there for people. And, and I think that people also tend to feel, especially actors, like we, we I don't know, maybe it's our self-image issues or whatever that we develop yeah. from people judging us from auditions. But it's, you know, feeling like, oh, I got to get likes or I got to get comments or whatever. I got to, I have to make this bigger. Like, no, stop. If you... If you transition out of acting as a career or performing as a career or whatever form of art that you did as a career and you want to continue doing it, stop trying to do it to make people happy because that's yeah. what's going to make you miserable. And this sort of falls back on like being true to yourself and mm-hmm. doing things that are you know, where I've now found some semblance of satisfaction or whatever from this project that I basically created for myself was because yeah. I didn't think this is going to be something that people like. <laughs> it's going to be something <laughs> that I like, you know, and we'll right, see what happens. Right. Yeah. Like, mostly I was looking for a frame to put around the episodes of my podcast. And then I just like, came up with this whole other, you know, shebang that, you know, has turned into a thing that I do because I love to do it. Not because I expect to get paid to do it. Not because I expect yeah. people to fawn all over it. Do it because I like like to do it. It just gives me an outlet. Yes. And I think there's something with, you know, 
if you're doing acting or dancing or whatever as a career, you know, there's a validation there because you're getting paid. So you feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm an actor, or I'm a dancer. And so when you kind of venture away from that and then maybe you decide, you know, I'm going to sing and, you know, then you start feeling like you need that validation again. And, yeah. you know, that, that can be really hard. hard to get out <laughs> of. But I think if we can get to a point where we're doing it for ourselves because we don't have to get paid. Because we have right. something else that we're doing, right. you know that that's great, and I think you can that's one of the rediscover that yeah joy. rediscover yeah. that joy and that fire that was in you to do this in the beginning. What you liked about it in the beginning, you know, and mm -hmm. for me, part of that was making people laugh. That was the thing was I always loved to see the people laugh and happy. That was why I wanted to be a comedian when I was a kid. So. Right. We can go into therapy and figure out why that is, or just, you know, I just want to make people laugh and have a good time. And that yeah. was carried over into my photography career, you know, and into the podcasting stuff. It's just, you know, it's very much about, like, let's not be so serious. Like, let's not, yeah. you know, let's laugh and have fun and, you know, be good to one another. Yeah. Wow, we have been talking forever. There's so many other time. things I could ask you. <laughs> We're going to have to have a part two. <laughs> Is there something else that's really something no one knows that we would find interesting? That you'd find interesting? Hmm, that's tough. The, like, I've met a lot of really interesting people. There were other, there's another very famous role that I was up for. I don't know if you wanted that or. Sure, sure. It's a real interesting story. And it was, I think that was actually the final straw for me as an actor. After all the other stuff, I was just like, man. Uh, what 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 can I do? Yeah. So I, like as mentioned, I did a lot of voiceover work, and I would regularly get called in to do voiceovers, mm -hmm. <clears throat> like ads and things like that. And it was the Geico Gecko, the original Geico mm -hmm. Gecko. The guy who was doing the voiceovers that his contract was up. Okay. And Geico apparently wanted someone who would sound exactly like him. They didn't want it to sound like they had switched people. Okay. And I can do impressions. I can do, like, learn how to make my mimic people and sound like them. And he had a very effete sort of British sound. You were probably trying to reach Geico. But leave a message and I'll get your message to them, whatever. And it's, it was <laughs> stuff like that. And it was like a very, this very sort of effete British sound to him. Mm -hmm. They're like, why don't you come in? Why don't you sound exactly like him? Okay. So I would go in. I'd read the lines, do the voice, and then I would say, do you want me to try something else? Because that was always the thing that I learned. Like, give them something different. They want. Yeah. Yeah. And they would shoot me down every time. Nope. Don't want that. Don't, don't want different. Like, we want someone who sounds exactly like the guy. Okay. And again, five times. Five callbacks. <gasps> Until I'm sitting in a hallway with two other gentlemen. And one guy goes, I don't know why they keep calling me back. I do the voice. They won't let me do anything else. At all. Like, they won't let me try anything else. And the second guy looks over at us and goes, I don't know why they keep calling me back. I can't do an English accent. <laughs> Who do you think got the part? <laughs> the guy that can't do the English accent. <laughs> Like, yeah, he got the job just because he couldn't do the accent. And, it's, and you know, then here I will give you the reaction 
from the casting directors after the like, five times going in, doing it, and they're like, yeah, we loved what you did. You sounded exactly like him. But there's this other guy who just blew us completely away with his take on it. And I was just like, threw my hands up in the air, and I was like, yeah, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah, well, he was, he, you were trying to be what they they wanted. Right. And he was being who he was. Right, exactly. We come full circle. (laughs) (laughs) Who has had. Always have to be you. (laughs) Who has had 17 years of amazing residuals? That guy for being himself. (laughs) Yep. Yep. So now, now we know that you have to be yourself. Just be yourself. Just Make strong yourself. choices. Yes. All right. Well, I appreciate you talking to me today. This was so much fun. And time. I've got so many cool viewpoints and, and things. And I love how everything came together. So I yeah. really appreciate it. And thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. I'll, yeah. I'm happy to come back again. And there are other stories I can tell. Yes. <laughs> thank you, Sophia. Yeah. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Bye. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to Act Two Interviews. I'm your host, Sophia Negron. Please make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and share with all your friends. Have a great day.